For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. Good morning, beloved Genesis community. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither food nor drink. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up, he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, He was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim. He began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Please welcome our friend Allie. Well, thank you. How are we all doing this morning? Good, good. Sun's out. Yes, it's been a week, I'm telling you, but I'm really excited to be up here sharing the word of God with you today. Um, So I'm a pastor's kid, 
And I've seen firsthand just how creative the enemy gets the week before a pastor is preaching, um, to just trying to discourage them in any way possible. And so knowing this was coming up, last Sunday night, I, I got ready. Like I put on my helmet of salvation, I picked up my shield of faith, my sword of the spirit, and I was like, okay, let's do this. But then nothing really happened. And I was a little disappointed. Like, Thursday rolled around, I'd finished my sermon, I was excited, I was actually feeling confident about myself, and it was just like a really fun process. And I was like, there's no way, this has to be too easy. And then yesterday happened, and then we all heard the news about Rachel Held Evans. Um, And Steve, your words were wonderful today, and got me crying already before I had to come up here. But yesterday, my heart sank, and I felt so many emotions all at once. Um, And as an Enneagram 4, that's a lot to deal with the day before you're preaching. Um, So I wasn't quite sure what to make of it all. But then the longer that I sat with it, and I realized that it's a great honor to be standing here today and sharing the word of God with you. And I didn't know Rachel personally, but she played a pivotal role in my journey of faith. Her brilliance and her vulnerability encouraged me to give Christianity a second chance. And her fearlessness and her strength showed me that I can be a woman, a mother, and a pastor all at once. So I stand here today with a great debt to the life and the influence of Rachel Held Evans. And I can only hope to follow in her footsteps and to encourage others to live into the fullness of the life of Christ. So in light of all of that, so good to be here. And I'm so excited to talk about my man Saul. So I'm sure many of us are familiar with this story, or have at least heard of Saul, who would later become Paul. Um, And this conversion, call, commissioning, whatever you want to call it. Um, But I don't think that's what I want to focus on today. Instead, I want to ask us the question, what does this text tell us about what it means to be a follower of the way? So Acts chapter 9 starts by describing the current state of Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And when I first heard this description, I imagined Saul like a cartoon character, just fuming mad, his face was all red, and he had smoke coming out of his nostrils and his ears, and like he's breathing out this anger. But it was interesting, as I was studying this passage, and I looked at the Greek, um, the the word that Luke uses for breathing is more of a breathing in rather than a breathing out. And that changes things a little bit, doesn't it? Instead of Saul exhaling threats and murder, he is inhaling and drawing life from the hostility around him. And why was he so angry, right? And why did the high priest of Jerusalem find it appropriate to bind these men and women and throw them into jail? Probably kill them. Well, it's important to note that at this time in history, Christianity wasn't really a thing yet. These followers of the way as Luke describes them, wouldn't get the name Christians until the church in Antioch. And that's at the end of Acts chapter 11. Right now, we're in Acts chapter 9. 
So to the proper and the upright Pharisees, Jesus was just a crazy man and his disciples were leading people astray. And what happens when God's people are led astray? Exile. To Saul and to the Jewish leaders, this was a sacred mission to keep the people of God in line and to not repeat the same mistakes their ancestors did during the time before the exile. Now, during his time on earth, Jesus made a bold claim. In the Gospel of John, he says, I am the way, the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you know me, you will know my Father also. And that's a good thing because now on you do know him and you have seen him because you've seen me. This claim threatened the very status quo that Saul and the other religious leaders found comfort in. And they'd do anything to keep things that way. But let's keep looking at our text. So Saul's on his way to Damascus, which I still don't know, like, why Damascus? This was the question that was pestering me all week. Because I looked at a map, and Jerusalem, let's say, is like down here. Damascus is going to be like all the way up here in Assyria. And I looked on Google Maps. It's like a 60-hour walk. And that's like with our modern road systems. So I can only imagine back in the first century, it must have taken Saul at least multiple days. And I'm just like, Saul, buddy, I'm sure there's hundreds of followers of the way that you could bind and imprison in cities much closer to Jerusalem. But you know, the text is what it is. So Saul was walking to Damascus, taking a long time, and then suddenly, Jesus meets him on the road. Now it's time for our first all-play question, everybody's favorite part of the service. And if you're new to Genesis, uh, we do all plays to hear the voice of the chorus and not just the solo. And it's a chance for us to turn the gem of scripture and look at it from a different perspective. So I'm going to ask you this morning, why a road? Why did Jesus choose to meet Saul on a road instead of in his house, maybe in a synagogue while he's praying, or even when he was like in the city of Damascus? Yes. Yes, Bob, thank you. The road signifies a journey, and he meets us all on our journeys. Ooh, he's not in some place familiar. And that makes him a little vulnerable, doesn't it? Anyone else? Ooh, that's good. I like that. Said he wanted to use the time it takes to Damascus to kind of help him along and transform him. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. He wants to set Saul up for success, and he's on this path, and he can't really go off to all these other different places. Now, I really love to think about the irony that Luke is using here. Um, Here I go, looking at the Greek again. 
but he uses the word hehadas, which means the road, but it also means the way. Think about that. <laughs> um, Saul is on a mission to bind followers of hehadas, the way, when suddenly Jesus meets Saul on hehadas, the road. I love that. And in this interaction, I wonder, what was Jesus' tone of voice when he talks to Saul? When he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you ferociously pursue me like a hunter chasing its prey? And what must it have been like for Saul to be called out like that? Because when Saul replies, who are you, Lord? He's not acknowledging Jesus' lordship. Remember, he thought Jesus was crazy. Instead, he was absolutely terrified of this heavenly being of great light, calling him out by name. And I can only imagine he falls to the ground in fear, but also probably to butter up this divine being. Like, oh my Lord, my liege, what is it you want? I'll do anything. Just don't kill me. And all Jesus has to say to that is, get up and go to the city don't do what you came here to do. Instead, just wait for me to tell you. And then boom, darkness. Saul is now walking on this very long road to Damascus, blind and about to enter into a city where the followers of the way know he is coming for them. Bind them up and take them back to Jerusalem be kind of terrified if I was Saul. I probably would have turned around, but I guess he just kept going. And shortly after this Damascus road experience, Jesus appears to a man named Ananias. Now we know from this text that Ananias is a disciple of the way who lives in Damascus, and that's about it. So Jesus says, hey Ananias, guess what? And I can only imagine that Ananias was really excited to hear Jesus call for him. Like, you know how some people practice acceptance speeches in the shower? <laughs> what if it was like every first century Jewish boy's dream to be called on by the Lord just like the prophets? And they would sit there in their rooms practicing saying, here I am, Lord. <laughs> and I bet Ananias was stoked. Like, what cool thing is God gonna ask me to do? And are people going to write about me? But then imagine the dread and the fear when Jesus asked him to go meet Saul. And not only meet Saul, but to lay hands on him and to heal him. Just before this, in Acts chapter 8, Saul is described as ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women and committing them to prison. That's what Saul is going to do in Damascus. And now think for a second, how would you respond if you were Ananias? Would you be terrified? Would you be mad that Jesus wanted you to show compassion to this person? But Jesus told him to go, and Ananias went, despite everything that he was feeling. And so he goes to the street called Straight. And when I was reading the Greek of this, 
I was a little disappointed in Luke for using the word street instead of hey hadas, right? The way, the road, hey hadas called straight. Like what a missed opportunity for literary greatness. <laughs> but then I looked a little deeper into the word that he uses, hey rume. And it's described as the rushing moving of a body, a crowded street, a tract of way in town shut in by buildings on both sides. So it's not like Ananias is going to this house in the middle of nowhere with no witnesses to heal Saul in secret. He goes to a house in the middle of a crowded street, shut in by buildings and witnesses on both sides to heal Saul in front of the entire city. And that changes things a little bit now, doesn't it? And it's also funny to point out that the street is called straight. So not just in the metaphorical sense of, you know, Saul's getting straight with Jesus, but also in the literal sense. Because if you think about it, this street was probably called straight because it was physically straight and physically smooth and probably easy to walk on. And so here we see a little bit of God's grace by taking a blind Saul down a smooth and a straight street instead of a bumpy and a zigzaggy one. I can only imagine that was easier for him being blind and fasting, not eating food or drinking any water, and probably really tired and scared. So Ananias enters this house. And what does he call Saul? Brother, that's right. Here's another all-play question. What do you think Ananias was feeling as he walked into the house and saw Saul sitting there? Anger? Yeah. Conflict? Should I heal him? Should I not? Softened a little bit? Kind of humanizing this person, and confusion, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think he had one of these moments where he wondered, is the gospel really for everyone? Yeah. What was that? Some peace? Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that peace. The anticipation and the buildup of what is it going to be when I walk into the house and then what if there's just peace? Despite everything that he was feeling, Ananias puts it aside and he trusts that God wouldn't ask him to do this if it wasn't for the good of the kingdom and the way of the Lord. So he remembers the way of Jesus and remembers Jesus' teachings to love your enemy and to pray for those who persecute you. Now in this story, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of hustle and bustle, people getting up and going and bringing and entering. Yet there are only three instances when something moves downwards. The first is when Saul falls to the ground as the light of heaven flashes all around. The second is when Ananias lays his hands on Saul. And the third is when something like scale fall from Saul's eyes. 
And each of these downward movements contrasts with the upward and the horizontal movements of the narrative, which I think highlights their significance. In the first instance, Saul meets Jesus and his life is changed forever. In the second, Ananias acts in love and compassion towards his enemy. And in the third, Saul's no longer physically blind, finally seeing the truth of who Jesus is, the Son of God. And after being healed from his blindness, Saul immediately jumps into sharing what God has done in his life and who he now believes Jesus is. Isn't that such an incredible story? Now, every time I've heard this text preached on or taught on, the focus has been on Saul and on God's radical love that stops us in our tracks and turns us around back on a path towards herself. Which that is absolutely true and beautiful and real. But what about Ananias? He always gets overlooked. In our final all-play question this morning, what does Ananias teach us about what it takes to be a follower of Hey Hadas the Way? Requires courage to follow the way. Mm, you can still question what it is that God is calling you to do. Ooh, yeah. We don't get to decide who God picks. Mm. Mm, it might not look like you were picturing. Ooh, you'll never feel adequately prepared for what's coming at you. I love this because it teaches us all of this. Yes, is great. And that the way of Jesus is enemy love. Jürgen Moltmann is this crazy, brilliant scholar and theologian. And he wrote a book called The Way of Jesus Christ. How fitting. And he wrote this in the midst of the Cold War when everyone was threatening to blow each other up. And he says this, Love of our enemies is not recompensing love that returns what it has received. It is creative love. Anyone who repays evil with good has stopped just reacting and is creating something new. So instead of asking, how can I protect myself and deter my enemies from attacking me? The question becomes, how can I deprive my enemies of their hostility? Yes, when I read that, I got goosebumps. Deprive my enemy of their hostility. Because Saul was breathing in these threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. It was the very air he was breathing. But instead of reciprocating with threats and murder of his own, Ananias chose to deprive Saul of his hostility through compassion and forgiveness. Ananias deprived Saul of all the hateful oxygen in the room. Now, do you know what Ananias means in Hebrew? The Lord is gracious. And if that is not a slap in the face to Saul, I don't know what is. Because Ananias had him in the perfect position to do whatever he wanted to him. Saul was blind in a foreign city, 
on a mission to imprison Ananias and everyone he loved. And he could have very easily laid harmful hands upon him, and Saul wouldn't have seen it coming. Instead, he laid the hands of Jesus upon him, hands of grace, compassion, and healing. And I can only imagine that when Saul would later write to the church in Rome, bless those who persecute you, overcome evil with good, feed and care for your enemies, for when you do, you will heap burning coals upon their head. I can only imagine that he was speaking from personal experience as the enemy. For in the moment when Ananias laid his gentle hands upon him, Saul felt those coals upon his head as the hostility was sucked out of the room. And as the scales fell off his eyes, he saw for the first time a reality fueled by compassion and love instead of hostility and hate. Right now we're in the season of Eastertide, a season when we remember the resurrection of Christ and the work of his hands, his beautiful and wounded hands. Now, a hand can be described as a collection of appendages just dangling off a limb, but it can also be described as an instrument a person uses to accomplish their purpose. Jesus used his hands to heal the world. Saul used his hands to bind the hands of others. And Ananias used his hands as an extension of Jesus' hands to heal and to forgive. And so I ask us today, how can we, as followers of the way, use our hands to heal and to forgive? And how can we, as followers of the way, change the atmosphere around us and, like Ananias, deprive the world of its hostility? And I encourage you to think upon these things as we move into our prayers of confession and our 60 seconds of silence. Thank you. 